Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. It's uh, Father's Day, so I want to begin with a dad joke. Can we do that? Come on, I, I, I love dad jokes. Uh, no one laughs in my home, so I'm hoping you'll build me up. Uh, my wife loves Coke. And the other night, she's like, can you please go to Lucky's and get six cans of Sprite? Soon as I came home, I was in trouble because I picked seven up. Uh, It worked way better in my head. One more. One more. Uh, If you're new to church, maybe you didn't recognize this, but at the end of every song, we we say amen instead of a woman. And you're probably wondering, why do we do that in church? I thought we're equal opportunity because they're hymns, H-Y-M-M, not hers. Uh, I know, they're terrible. But let me tell you why we do start with dad jokes, because it's Father's Day and we created this church four years ago with a simple dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could grow in their faith, even when the room is 95 degrees, but it's a place where unchurched people could explore their faith. So if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to get be pushed passionately to follow Jesus, you found the right place. And if you're exploring, you got questions, you got doubts, let me tell you, this is the place where you can belong long before you believe. And we're in a collection of talks called Christians Gone Wild. And I'm telling you, the next six weeks, we are walking through this book. They're free on the way in. If you're wondering where we are today, in page 64, last week I preached from chapter one. Today I'm going to mix it up for Father's Day jumping straight to chapter 16. We are jumping around in this book. Lots of topics. Why do we preach through books of the Bible? We do this twice a year because you need the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Amen? If you see the verse on the screen, somebody shout amen. Amen. Be watchful, standing firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. About six or seven years ago, there was a hashtag on Instagram that like blew up in our country, that Saturdays are for the boys. It's basically a way to perpetuate adolescence for men to play golf all day, play video games, live with their parents, and extend adolescence. This is the opposite of that hashtag. The title of my sermon today is Sundays is for the men. (laughs) If Saturdays are for the boys, come on, Sundays are for the men. Uh, Let's begin with prayer because I'm going to try to encourage some of you today. Uh, God, we're, we're so grateful, Lord that your word's going to speak to us. We're only looking at one verse, God, but you're going to expand and multiply this verse in our heart. God, thank you, Lord, that your, your word is active and living, sharper than any double-edged sword, that it cuts between bone and marrow. It cuts to our heart, God. It cuts to our motives. It cuts to, our, to why we do what we do. God, we, we came in one way. We want to leave another. God, we want to leave this place on Father's Day looking more like you, talking more like you, loving more like you. And if you believe that, everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? And I love Father's Day, but can we just be honest? Father's Day is not really celebrated at church. We'll roll out the red carpet for the moms, you know. We'll, we'll do fireworks. And uh, I'm not sure if you know this, but the two biggest days in a, in a church are Christmas and Easter. And actually, it's in our culture that we have what I call CEOs, Christmas, Easter only Christians. Uh, and the, the third biggest day in Christianity, if you don't know this, is Mother's Day. Everybody comes out for Mother's Day. But do you know what the... The second lowest attendance day of the year is, it's first is Thanksgiving, no one shows up, 
And then the second lowest is, is Father's Day. And I, I brought a theological meme to kind of explain this difference. On moms, we say, oh my gosh, we love you, mom. And dads are, are definitely Al Bundy. And I kind of want to flip the script today. Often we beat up the dads. They don't show up. They don't do enough. I want to not criticize you. I want to coach you. I don't want to tear you down. I want to build you up. And uh, so often we're, we tell dads how they fall short. I want to build some dads up because I see more in you than maybe you see in yourself. Amen? And that's the heart of Paul. And, and, and he, he planted this church in 1 Corinthians. If you weren't here last week, let me kind of catch you up. This is the city of Corinth 2,000 years ago. Think Amsterdam, think Las Vegas, and Burning Man in one. That's the city of Corinth. They have a temple called the Acropolis, and every day there's about 1,000 temple prostitutes. Every day. It was common in that culture to like invite friends and family for dinner. Not family, friends for dinner. You would invite four or five families. You would eat, and then you have like a 10-person orgy. That was common in Corinth. Maybe in our culture, we use a derogatory term for someone who sleeps around. Oh, you're a hoe. Forgive me for using that language. In 1 Corinthians, you are a Corinthian girl. Like, that's how popular and, like, crazy this culture was. And then imagine a church being birthed there. It's no different than what's happening in Silicon Valley. This is the most unchurched region in the entire country. 98% of the people that live here do not know Jesus, do not want Jesus. For a church at 5 o'clock, come on, it's 5.30. It's like 82 degrees. You guys really love Jesus to be in this room. And then Paul, when he planted his church, they were four years old. Bold church, listen, is four years old. And a lot of the things that he was talking to them about in chapter 1 through probably 15, it's what's called orthodoxy. Someone say orthodoxy. He's teaching them what to believe, and then he tells them how to behave. It's called orthopraxy. And in every one of the epistles, there's this pattern. Believe this, believe this, and then once you do, live like this. Book of Ephesians, book of Romans. That's why in Romans chapter 12 says, therefore, in view of God's mercies, in view of what? What he said for the first 11 chapters. And what he's doing now in chapter 16, he's telling you how to live based on what he said in the first 15 chapters. And he's going to say this phrase, act like men. Sometimes we're like, what does that mean? Do I need to go buy a muscle truck? Do I need to go to the gym? Do I need to be good at golf? Do I need to like bench like Arnold? Come on. Like, <laughs> what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to act like men? And for many of us in this room, it, we, we look to our past. We look to our fathers. Next slide, please. There you go. We look to our past. And uh, whether you had a good dad or a bad dad. For some of you who had terrible fathers, my father was physically and verbally abusive. I, I, I spent most of my life saying, I'm not going to do this because that's how he was. And often the things I didn't want to do were the things that God wanted me to do. And I, would, I was never going to walk into my calling, never going to walk in as a father unless I realized, man, I, I can't just look at my past. Some of you, you have great dads. And unfortunately, your dad was so great, he cast this massive shadow over your life. And you just give yourself credit for showing up. Well, I'm just showing up. I'll never be as good as him. God has more for you. If it's not your past, it's your peers. And you look to your left and your right, and you look at cubicle number three, and at least I'm not as bad as him. And you know how you do this when you get in a fight with your spouse? And you're like, at least you didn't marry Jeff. And she's like, I didn't want to marry you. I, I married you. And you excused yourself. Because you're better than the guy at the office. You're better than that guy at church. And for many of you, you don't realize this, but you're looking at your past and you're looking to your left and to your right. And Jesus wants you to look forward to your potential. To your potential. The goal is not for me to be better than you. The goal is for me to be better than me. 
There's a calling on my life. There's a, there's, a, there's a thing that God wants me to do. Instead of looking back or to my side, God wants me to look ahead to the author and perfecter of my faith. And per- potential literally means this. It means it's stored energy. It's, it's that which has not been created yet. You're not the son that you're supposed to be yet. You're not the dad you're, not, you're supposed to be yet. You're not the son you're supposed to be yet. And the, God sees more in you than often you see in yourself. And I want to encourage you today. Because I know the world beats us down today. Um, Father's Day, is, let me just tell you, is not just the lowest attendance day at church. Uh, Elias Anderson, who's, who is the de- deputy of the correctional facilities in California, says that 70% of the men in the correctional facilities in California, 70% of those men come from fatherless homes. See, the most popular day in prison is Mother's Day. The, the, the smallest day on prison is Father's Day. Because the vast majority of inmates, their greatest pain is their fathers. I want to turn that around, amen? I believe good men come from good fathers. I want to prophesy. I want to encourage some of you. I want to speak life over you today. I want to give you four things that are going to help you act like men. If you're ready to be challenged, if you're ready to be inspired and encouraged, somebody shout amen. Amen. Number one, you got to see more than yourself. Somebody shout, see more. more. It comes from 1 Corinthians 13. 16 verse 13 says, be watchful. It's this, this idea in the Greek to, to be alert, to look around, to get your eyes off just yourself and those around you that are under your care. Because life is not about you. And often what, we find, what I find is many men in this culture, in this generation, were what I call jumbotron fathers. Anybody watch the Warriors win their fourth championship? Come on. Any Laker fans in the house? Any demons that need to cast them out in Jesus' name? No, no, no. Thank God. I, I, I just love to shame the devil on church on Sunday. That's why no one raised their hand. But if you've ever been to a Warriors game, and, and when I used to go, it was before Steph, before Clay, before like all these good, it was back in the day when Baron Davis was playing. And I'd pay 20 bucks, and I'd sit in the nosebleeds. And you didn't know because they were so far away if they're playing volleyball or basketball. But thank God there was a jumbotron that would show me the game even though I'm like a mile away. And they would make the game so entertaining. Like it's a very different experience when you're at the stadium and when you're watching at home. At home you see commercials. During the game they like do these games. They shoot like this this gun with like t-shirts in the crowd. And they had this game in the first half called the kiss cam where they'd put the camera on two people and whether or not they were married together, they would like cheer you on to kiss one another. And then the second half, they had this thing called the dance cam. And there was this one, and they would put the camera on people that didn't want to dance. And they like shamed them into dancing. And there was this one dude who's sitting there bored out of his mind, just like looking around, eating a bag of popcorn. And then he looks at the Jumbotron and he sees himself, and he looked like he like won the lottery. He's like, he hands his popcorn to his kids and he starts dancing. Like, I'm like, bro. You look like one of those guys that wouldn't even dance at his wedding. What are you? And like he like is getting the crowd into it. It's like, oh my gosh. Unfortunately, that's what many men in our culture do. We don't show up. We're not present. We're not engaged with our kids and our wife until we think the camera's on us. And what God is saying is saying, be watchful. Don't just think life is about you. Get your eyes off yourself and those around you. And this is the pattern in the scriptures. Uh, my daughter comes home from school and she sings these like Christian songs. I love it. I was, I was not born and raised in the church. She sings a song, Father Abraham had many sons and many Father Abraham. Someone needs to do a TikTok remix and then all of us will be singing this song. 
But if you don't know the story of Abraham, Abraham is this pagan. He's 75 years old, does not walk with God, does not go to church. He's not a Christian, and God shows up. Should give some of you who have never been to church before hope that God looks for people who don't want to go to church. He says, I want to make you a great man. I want to make you not just you great, I want to make you into a great nation. Because Abraham, my blessing is not just about you. Some of you don't realize this, but God wants to elevate you. He wants to elevate your business. He wants you to get promoted, not so that the blessing's on you, so that you will be a blessing to others. And then Abraham has Isaac. And then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And then from that moment on, Abraham is known, God has known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the generational God. He's not just the God of you. He wants to be the God of your kids and your grandkids. Life, listen, is not just about you. It's about your kids and the families that are, and the generations that are coming after you. Be watchful. Someone say, see more. And how do we do this, Pastor Ali? How do I get my eyes off myself? It's this, how do I move from selfishness, let's be honest, to selflessness? It's this word called humility. It's, it's almost a cuss word in our culture. Because we think I have to like let people cut in front of me. I have to be the doormat and let people take advantage of me. Humility does not mean that you don't have strength or that you're less than. It doesn't mean you let people take advantage of you. It just means you have the strength to do something, but you choose not to. You have the right to go first, but you choose not to. Uh, and C.S. Lewis, he says it like this. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. You're not below people. You're not less than. You're not below them. But you think it's thinking of yourself. Less you're getting your eyes off yourself and onto other people. Let me tell you what this looks like spiritually in a church, not just for yourself individually. A couple years ago, my, before I was married and had kids, my wife, well, my friends and I, we would go to Capitola every 4th of July. Anybody ever been to Capitola? The water is freezing. What are you doing there, right? And then I love Capitola because they got these beautiful houses on one side and they got these restaurants on the other and everybody eats on the patio. We chose to go 4th of July weekend. It was nuts. We had a park like a mile away and we finally walked to the beach, and there was not a square inch of space. And it was the, probably the first time I'd ever seen a lifeguard actually in the tower, right? Like, normally they're empty. Like, is anyone going to catch me if I die? And, and I, I, we're, like, hanging out, and the guy jumps out of the lifeguard tower and sprints for the ocean. And I look at what he, like, is he just trying to get wet? There's a man literally drowning because he was swimming, and he, he could not make it back. The lifeguard swims out to him, brings him back, does CPR, and I'm expecting, like, the whole beach to stop. There's, like, five people looking over this guy. Everybody else, you know what they're doing? They're throwing the Frisbee. They're making sandcastles. They're putting sunscreen on because no one was paying attention. Can I challenge you, church? Be watchful, not just of your life and your family's life. What about your neighbors? What the friends that don't know Jesus? You got to get your eyes off yourself and unto those who are far from God. Amen? But it's hard. Let me acknowledge that this is hard. Why? I read an article in 2017 uh, by the New Yorker. It says, if you're a kid, who's born in the 80s and 90s? Our generation is jacked up because of a failed social experiment called, that is true. It says, according to the, according to the New Yorker, we were the self-esteem generation. They thought our generation lacked confidence. That's why we didn't do well in school. That's why we weren't as brave and as tough as the previous generation. So we needed self-confidence. This is why some of you got trophies for coming in eighth place. Why, why are you laughing? I've been to your house. I've seen them before. And the New Yorker says, uh, uh, 
that, that because of this movement, which is a failed movement, by the way, data shows that narcissism rose in our generation more than any other generation. According to the New Yorker, the self-esteem movement led to the obsession with selfies and self that we have today, nicknamed the selfie generation, because we grew up being told we're special even when we came in eighth place. And then we were given cell phones to take pictures of ourselves to tell everyone how special we were. And it's often, you know, I'm making fun of the guys like, oh, you're a jumbotron father. Can we just, are there any, this is like a confession. Are there any recovering Instagram dads in the room? Come on, you better put your hand up. Instagram dads, your, your wife will not let you touch the food until she takes a picture. Put your hand up. Yes, thank you. Thank you. You know exactly, yeah. And then she says, I want a picture. And then you spend the next hour taking a thousand photos. And you go, how, these are all ugly. What are you doing, right? And then she sends you to a master class on how to take photos. Anybody recovering? And it's, it's even hard. It's like walking on water if there are three women you got to take a picture of. Because you don't just show your wife. You show all the women. And when they say they don't like the photo, you know what they're really saying is, I look ugly even though you look great. Delete this photo. And often what we do as husbands is we judge our wives because they sin differently than us. It's the same generation. We're jumbotron dads and they're Instagram moms. Come on. And often what God is saying to all of us is be watchful. Get your eyes off yourself. You got to see more. Someone say see more. more. Number two, I hope you see the pattern, is do more than you want. Someone say do more. more. I want to get this into your spirit. It says standing firm in the faith. Notice it doesn't say feeling firm in the faith. It doesn't say like you don't feel your way into the kingdom of God. You obey your way into the kingdom of God. Faith has feelings, but it's not a feeling. And listen, our culture, we have these, these false evangelists and false, you know, apostles. I call them Drake and Lil Wayne. And they, they have their own song, their own church. It's called YOLO. You only live once. It's the motto, right? And the whole heart of that song is you only live once. Do what feels good. Follow your heart. And then Jesus comes along and says, don't follow your heart. Follow me. And it's so hard for Christians who were born and raised in this selfie generation to then who have been following their desires their whole life. Jesus says, I don't want you to follow your desires. Clench your butt cheeks and follow me. And the reason why he says that, because it is hard to follow him. Because he's going to ask you to do things that don't feel good, but they are good. I wrote down like this. Have you ever noticed that what is right rarely feels like the thing you want to do? I want to eat Taco Bell every day. I want heaven to have streets of gold and sidewalks of Mexican pizzas. Come on. And then when I'm not eating Taco Bell, I want to eat pizza. I I, want to sit on the couch and never go to the gym and just have a six-pack. I want to yell at my boss. I want to tell the guy who cuts me off on the highway he's number one with the universal sign. How are you talking about right? I want to give my kids melatonin during the day. That's nervous laughter from the parents right there. But I can't live my life based on how I feel because it's not the right thing to do. And this is where I just want to like challenge the Instagram influencers in the room. Come on. These are the verses I want you to talk about. Not, oh my gosh, God loves you. <laughs> Matthew, I've, I've preached that before. I'm not going to go there again. Matthew chapter 5. These are the words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. This 
phrase is so famous, even Mahatma Gandhi, who did not believe in Jesus, quoted Jesus. That's how influential Jesus is. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And this is the part that most Christians don't understand. No one memorizes this verse. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. Like, what? Like, imagine you spent two hours spray painting your face, face with makeup to come to church, and then someone slaps you like, oh my God, can you slap the other side? I want to be a Christian today. No one does that. No one, like, tattoos this on their arm. Men, don't pray, Jesus, please have someone disrespect me and slap me so I can look more like Jesus today. Notice how Jesus doesn't ask how you feel in the interaction. He, said, he commands you to obey because he's not taking your feelings into consideration. And then he continues, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. And if anyone wants to sue you, let me paraphrase, if they want to take advantage of you, they want to, to rob you, instead of defending yourself and, and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Jesus is basically saying, let them. Because one day they're going to have to stand before me and explain why they sued you. You don't need to be your judge. I'll be your judge. I'll be your defender. It takes faith, though, to do that. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. We often don't understand what that means in that culture. In that culture, this was under Roman rule. The Jews were occupied by Rome. So a Roman soldier could come to your house, free Airbnb. You had to feed him, give him housing, and then the next morning when you wanted to leave, he'd hand you his backpack. And by law, you had to walk one mile. And then you could drop the backpack and go home. And you know what the Jews did? They would memorize how many steps it took to walk one mile. And the moment they hit 4,284, they dropped the backpack. And Jesus says, you got to do more. Someone say, do more. Don't go one mile, go two. And at this point, you're like, I don't even want to walk one. Jesus is saying, I know. But you won't become a follower of me unless you go further than you want to go. you got to go two. Don't just do what feels good. you got to do what is good. I wrote down like this. Sometimes you can't truly understand the Bible until you obey it. Forgiveness does not make sense until you do it and then you realize, oh my gosh, this is for my freedom. Love, agape love, not conditional love, agape love, where you love someone unconditionally and you give them what they don't deserve when they, when they most need it. That's when you grow like Christ. Love your kids when they spill milk, when they paint on the walls. Love your wife when she doesn't deserve it. That's when you realize it is truly better to give than to receive. What about generosity? Why does God, giving God your finances makes zero financial sense. But then on the other side of obedience, you realize it's for my freedom. I'm not locked under the, the, the stronghold of greed. There are some things that Drake and Little Wayne will tell you, you only live once. Live for what feels good. Follow your heart. Jesus says, follow me. Don't, don't trust your friends. Don't trust your feelings. Don't trust Facebook. Trust your Savior. And don't do what feels good. Do what is good. And I had to learn this principle. It was so powerful. I used to be a software engineer. And at the time, I would travel to L.A. probably once a month for like a week. And one time, my boss calls me up on Friday and says, I need you Monday morning in L.A. I'm like, can I at least hang out with my family? He's like, yes. Sunday night, he buys me a ticket. It's like an 8 o'clock flight. And then the flight gets delayed one time, gets delayed another hour. It gets delayed till 11.30. Honestly, most of the people, they left and went home. I can drive to L.A. faster than waiting here, right? 
There were two people on this flight. It's 11.30, we're flying, it's an hour flight to Burbank. And I'm sitting, I'm sitting front row. Because I can sit wherever I want, there's no one on the plane. The other dude sits in the back, I'm like, he must be crop dusting or something's up with this guy. Like, why is he back there? Then the flight attendant, she literally goes through her whole spiel. I'm like, what are you doing? There's no one on this flight. Why are you telling me how to put, just look at my seatbelt. It's on. And then she goes, if, it, if, the, if we're having turbulence and the mask comes down, I'm like, I'm not going to put it on anyone. There's no one on this. And she goes for 10 minutes. Then she brings out the beverage cart. I'm like, just throw me a bottle of water, bro. And in my heart, I was making fun of her. And remember, God said, that's what it looks like to obey me in a culture that doesn't want to. See, it's so easy to obey God when it feels good and you have friends cheering you on. Will you obey God even when you're being made fun of? Will you obey God even when everyone thinks and says you're foolish? That woman understood. Maybe she wasn't a Christian, but it's a picture of what Christianity looks like. You don't obey when it feels good and your friends want to. You do more. Someone say, do more. You do more than what you want to do. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. For those of you who went to public school, I hope you see the pattern. We got to see more. We got to do more. And number three, give more. Someone say give more. You got to give more than what you have. I want to get this principle in your heart because this is a principle that's found throughout the scriptures. If you want to grow, you got to give to grow. It's counterintuitive. When you give, giving leads to growing. Proverbs 11 verse 14 says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. Someone say larger and larger. The world of the stingy, though, gets smaller and smaller. Notice how this is like the opposite of what we think. See, on one side, we have the world. Get your eyes on yourself. Take selfies. YOLO. Do what feels good. It's your bag. You earned that money. You went to school. You worked hard. It's all yours. And on the opposite side, there's this dichotomy where the God of heaven is preaching a totally different gospel. He's saying, be watchful. Get your eyes off yourself because life is not about you. And don't do what feels good. Do what is right. And give even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it doesn't make sense. I wrote down like this. If you want to grow, you have to sow. Name an area in your life that's broken and lacks. You have to sow in that area if you want to grow. For example, let's say, Pastor, I don't have any friends. Awesome. Go be a friend. Go be a friend to three or four people and watch the number of your friends increase. Some people say, oh, Pastor, people always say bad things about me and they gossip. Awesome. Go do the equal and opposite thing. Go spread rumors about how awesome that person is. You got to sow where you want to go. You got Drake and Lil Wayne saying YOLO. And on the other side, he's saying, Jesus is saying, pick up your cross and follow me. And the number one question I ask whenever I hear a Christian say, Pastor Ali, I'm not really growing in my faith. I come to church, I read, I serve. Such an easy question for me. Does God have your tithe? And people are like, that has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with it. How many of you this morning woke up and checked coin dog, dog coin, whatever that's called? I'm, ho- I'm assuming none of you have what that value of that stock is. None of you. Let's say I told all of you tomorrow to invest your life savings in dog coin, whatever it's called. That Dogecoin, excuse moi. It's Target, excuse me. Dogecoin. You know what happened on Tuesday? 
all of you to wake up at 6 a.m. to check the price. Why? Because it's the principle that Jesus taught in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, you got to put your wallet there first, and then it says, then your heart will follow. Too many Christians say, oh, I'll, I'll give when I learn to love God more. No, no, no. You can't love God until he has your treasure. Well, tithing is Old Testament. Then don't complain when you get an Old Testament blessing. Come on now. That's, I'm just coming at you this morning. I remember my roommate, he had to teach me this principle of give more. Someone say give more. He, uh, his summer of our junior year going to our senior year, he watched this documentary. Maybe some of you have seen it. It's called Pumping Iron. It's about Arnold Schwarzenegger. And uh, he literally, overnight, this computer software engineer nerd became a bodybuilder. Eating 12 eggs a day, injecting in his butt cheeks, literally like total body, like a box of cereal once a day. Like this guy was like about that life. And he would take me to the gym. And because he wanted to get me stronger. And I was telling him like how I had like plateaued on the bench press and I couldn't like get further along. He's like, I know exactly what to do. You ever have like those friends that they're so annoying you have to love them with the love of the Lord? If you're new to church and anyone tells you they have to love you, that means you're annoying. And they're trying really hard to love you. I had to love my roommate with the love of the Lord. And part of it was I'd be on the bench press and I could only pop out like seven or eight sets. And he'd always say, you got one more in you. I'm like, I don't. And he's like, yes, you do. And this one time, he adds more weight. I'm like, bro, I couldn't do the previous one. What are you doing? And imagine I'm on this six. And for those of you that have gone to the gym before, there comes a point where it doesn't move anymore. And you're like shaking. And your face turns red. And you're look, like, I'm about to die, bro, because he's standing over you. And then he gives me a finger. I'm like, I'm going to stick that finger. Give me more. He sticks one finger under the bar. Like, barely helping like a mouse farting would have more force going up i'm like bro i'm dying help he's like you got one more and he let me shake for like a minute until at the very end it finally went up i'm like bro you are demonic what are you doing he's like you have to train for failure until you give everything until you give all you'll never get stronger in six months I was almost doing double, not double, but at least 50 pounds more than what I was doing. Let me tell you the spiritual principle behind that. There are some of you, you quit loving your wife when she gets difficult. There's some of you, you quit, love, you want to throw your kids in the swimming pool, you can't handle them. You want to give them melatonin at like one in the afternoon. I'm not the only one, so you can raise your hand. Let me tell you what Jesus is teaching us in this principle. He's saying, act strong. Act like men. Be strong. Why would God say be strong if he didn't expect you to? Think how weird God would be if he's commanding you to be something that you don't have the strength to be. That's the point. In the same way that I was in the gym and I trained for failure and I got stronger. Some of you, you need to love. I can't love my spouse. Christianity is not meant to be lived on your strength. God never gives you what you can't handle. There's that lie that's perpetuated. Of course he does. He's going to give you a marriage that's going to fall on you, thinking, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this. God, help. And the moment you say help, God shows up. And he puts his hand under the weight and says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Yeah, that's good. 
God does not give grace to those who are strong. God does not give grace to those who think they can do it without. God gives grace to those who can't. Christianity is not a try harder. It's I gave my best, God. I'm dying under this marriage. My boss is crazy. God, that's when God shows up. Some of you need to learn this principle of give more. Someone say give more. That's why Paul, in the same book, says, I don't boast in my accolades. I don't boast in my education. I don't boast in my intelligence. I boast in my weakness. Because God's power is made perfect in my weakness. When I can't push anymore, when I go to failure, that's when God makes me stronger. And give it six months, you'll have more love for your spouse than you ever had. You'll have more patience for your kids than you ever had. But it won't happen until you give more. Someone say, give more. God wants you to see more. God wants you to do more. God wants you to give more. And number four, I hope you see the pattern, love more. Someone say love more. Love more more than you feel. Let me read all of these verses again in one shot. Be watchful, standing firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let me read you the same verse in a different translation. Watch it come alive. I love this translation. Keep your eyes open. Get your eyes off just yourself. Hold tight onto your convictions. Don't be led by feelings. Be led by your convictions. Give it all you've got. Give more. Be resolute and love without stopping. I'm so grateful. I don't know about you, for a Savior who loved me when I didn't deserve it. Who, who didn't love me with feelings, like, oh my gosh, you guys are beating me. This sucks. You're putting nails in my hand. I'm, I'm done. I don't want to love these people anymore. God loved us literally until death. And he bears the mark of love. Let me tell you, some of you men in this room, if you want to love your spouse, you're going to have scars. If you want to love your kids great, you're going to have scars. If you want to start a great business, you're going to have scars. Because real love always bears the marks of love. And there's this tension in the scriptures that in one hand, God's asking me to be strong and he's asking me to be tender. He's asking me to be present, but then also focus on others. He's asking me to to act in love, but then be firm and be strong. And, And there's this tension in Christianity that fathers are supposed to be these strong, but tender men. Supposed to be, not use our strength to hurt people, but to love and protect people. And there's this poem by a, a guy named Rudyard Kipling in 1895. He wrote this poem called If, about what manhood and being a man looks like. It's on the screen. I want to land the plane on this. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give away hating. And yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make your thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knives to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken, and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it all in one turn of pitch and toss, 
and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long enough after they're gone. And so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings nor lose their co- the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more. You'll be a man, my son. Act like men. If you see more, you do more, you give more, and you love more. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray for you. God, thank you so much. On Father's Day, you, you so clearly with the scriptures give us an example of, of what being a biblical man is, being a godly man. God, forgive us that we look to the example of the world, we look to TV, we look to movies, we look to social media to tell us what a, what a man is, to tell us what a father is supposed to be. But God, you want us to get our eyes off ourselves and those around us. That life is not just about me. It's about those you've placed in my care, my family, my friends. God, you want me to do more. Uh, often I want to stop doing what doesn't feel good, but you're calling me to do not what is, feels good, but what is good. God, you call me to give more. I got one more set in me. And God, it's okay if I love my spouse as hard as I can and I fail. I'm going to get up and try again. And when I give more, my love is going to increase. My mercy is going to increase. My, my grace is going to increase. And God, I want to love more. I want to love my, like my Savior who laid his life down for those that he loved. Greater love does not know than this, than a man who lays down his life for his friends. I pray for all the men in this room that can hear the sound of my voice, that we would lay our lives down for our friends. That life is not measured in what we get and what we keep. We're not here to build a dynasty. We're here to build a legacy. I pray for every father in this room. I pray for every man who has a father wound, maybe a father who wasn't there, maybe a mom who wasn't there. God, heal their heart. Let them see you as the heavenly father who wants to fill that void. There are some of you in this room, it's hard to act like men until you've received the love of the father. Let me quickly explain what Christianity is all about. It's not a religion where God tells you to do anything. It's a religion where God does all the work for us, for us to be loved. God sent his son Jesus 2,000 years ago. God became a man in the person of Jesus. God is, Jesus is not just a man, he's God in flesh. And he didn't come to teach. He came to die for us, for our sin on a cross, because that's what dads do. They die for their children. And Jesus was sent by the Father to die for all of us who are not his friends but his enemies. Jesus was willing to lay his life down. If that's you today, with every eye closed and every head bowed, and you want to start a relationship with this living God, regardless of whether you're a mom or a dad, let me just tell you very emphatically, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. But there is something separating you from God the Father, and it's sin. And Jesus came to become that sin and die for that sin. And the bridge between you and God can never be bridged with good works. It can only be done by the cross of Jesus. And if you want to start a relationship, which is what Christianity is all about, 
on the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to pray that prayer for the first time. On the count of three, one, two, three. That's you. You want to pray that prayer for the first time. Amen. Say this prayer in your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Say it out loud. Say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for paying my penalty of sin. I repent. I turn from my ways. No more YOLO. I take up my cross, and I follow you. I don't want to do what feels right. I don't want to follow my heart. I want to follow you, Jesus, all the days of my life. And everybody said, Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.